When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 517 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. It is, we're, uh, we'll be frank, it is literally just minutes after we recorded DVR Bright's episode 24. So you have not listened to that. Go back and listen to that. And then listen to this one because this one is mailbag time. It's mailbag season. We've been asking for your questions. And thankfully, thanks to some of you on the DVR forums, some of you on Twitter, we were able to get some great questions to answer. And we decided to make it its own full episode. Before we get to the questions, I am Donald Wine. Your host for this episode. I got Jason Evans and Sam Klein with me. Jason, I just talked to you five seconds ago. How are you doing? I am still doing well. <laughs> good. That's good. Sam, you were still at the Bluegrass Festival. How has it yep. been in the last five seconds since, uh, well, since we ended? From my uh, from my vantage point here in my friend's camper that I'm recording in, uh, I can hear that some people have started playing music uh, somewhere in the background. So I've got I've got good the siren song. It's calling to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, let's uh, let, let let's uh, let's wrap this thing up as quickly as possible because I gotta I gotta get back. You gotta get back into the vibe. So I got first yeah, I got, off, I got a lot of vibes to to soak in. So um, what are we we're we're, uh, we're answering questions today. We are answering questions. You know what, guys? Let's start with the big one. And this was uh, a conglomerate of questions. I will I will mind you because we had a lot of questions about the recruitment of Ernest Uday, who, as we have mentioned on the show before, is a, is a five from Kansas who entered the transfer portal a couple of weeks ago. He visited Duke last week before the portal window closed for visits. 
And now we're just waiting on whether or not he's going to appear at Duke. And it sounds like, and this is, we're not on the forums, so we can speculate a little bit. There has been chatter that Ernest Uday may not be coming to Duke because of transfer credits that would not apply to his transfer to Duke, leaving him, quote, academically academically ineligible. This does not mean he's slacking off in his classes. It just means that he does not have enough credits to transfer to Duke with what he has right now. But guys, the questions that we've been getting have been surrounding if we don't get Uday, what happens to the rotation? And so I'm going to pose it to you like this. Again, there's a myriad of questions that I'm going to kind of combine into one. If Duke misses out on Uday, who gets the minutes that he would have handled? And is that player Christian Reeves who might be ready to take a giant leap into the middle, maybe even start for Duke? Jason, I'll start with you. You may recall before Duke started going after Ernest Uday, I was the one who was saying that I thought a combination of Ryan Young, Sean Stewart, Christian Reeves, and a little bit of Kyle Filipowski at the five, that I was perfectly fine with that combination. That I thought that that was, that was something that would work for Duke and that I, I was content with us not getting a, a five, a big man, a, a rim protector. Uh, would Duke be better with a rim protector? Yes, absolutely. Does not getting one mean that Duke can't win the national title? No, that's crazy. Absolutely, this team, with you know the way it's constructed at this very moment, this team is more than prepared, more than good enough, more than experienced enough, and has more than enough big men to be able to play with any team in the country and to win a national title. There's no question about that in my mind. I think not getting Ernest Uday probably means, first and foremost, Kyle Filipowski really plays some minutes at the five. I think he probably gives some time to Christian Reeves, but the guy I'm really excited about is Sean Stewart, who is a very highly regarded recruit and is a guy who, you know, he's seen as a four or a five. He is someone who gets off the floor very quickly. He's a very good rebounder. He's raw offensively, but I love the prospect. I, I I think that we were maybe looking at Sean Stewart not getting much time for Duke. I think now we're looking at him probably being a 15 or so minute per game player at least. And I think that's a good thing for Duke, not just next year, but going forward in the future. And I think that Stewart uh, is, is going to play more than 15 minutes a game if Duke doesn't get Uday or Duke doesn't get another top, you know, big man. And, and I'm not sure at this point, you know, when, when John Shire is looking at his options, I don't know that he's looking at just finding another guy who we would think of as like a four-star recruit to plug in at the five, because as you say, Jason, Duke can kind of cobble together enough options at the five and has so much backcourt depth that Shire is not going to go reaching for this answer. The, the A perfectly passable answer is, you know, assembled in front of him, made of 15 minutes of Ryan Young, 10 minutes of Filipowski, maybe even 15 or 20 minutes of Sean Stewart. The one place I think where I would disagree with you is that I'm not sure that I'm ready to pencil in Christian Reeves for any minutes next year. Uh, Duke, Duke sort of monkeyed around with his, with his expectations going into last season and recognizing that he was one, a three-star recruit and two is only coming into a sophomore year where, you know, he was effectively a red shirt last year as a freshman, uh, I'm putting basically no expectations on the guy to to produce. 
And I know we're going to talk about sort of other roster elements a little bit more later, but um, I, I'm just sort of mentally going to downgrade the, the possibility of, of Reeves playing a real role at the five, even if Duke doesn't get Uday. I still hope that, that Duke can figure out how to, how to make the, the Uday transfer happen. Seems like he, he would fit in really well with the roster as currently constructed, but like you, I'm not freaking out if it doesn't come to pass. The, the only thing really quick I'll say about Christian Reeves, and I agree with you when I sort of in my head and putting together numbers and, you know, minutes played and things like that. I kind of go 15 minutes, Ryan Young, 15 minutes, Sean Stewart, 10 minutes, Kyle Filipowski. Well, that's 40 minutes at the five. And I, and I don't really pencil in Christian Reeves, but the one caution I will have is big men, especially develop at very different paces. And the history is full of guys who are big men who did not play at all as freshmen who suddenly turn it on and, you know, you can't teach height. You can't teach the kind of size that Christian Reeves has. And you may be absolutely right, Sam. And I'm not projecting him to be a, a key rotation piece. But if it happens, it won't be the most shocking thing we've ever seen. Their history, again, is full of guys who were, you know, barely top 200 recruits who turn into significant players after a year or two of developing in their program. I was going to say that, you know, we have a lot of experiences. We we talk a lot in college basketball about freshmen and the game slowing down to for them, right? Until they get to a point where mentally they are able to execute on the college level and things feel like natural to them. That that snap of the fingers where that game slows down can come at any time. Sometimes it comes during the freshman year, sometimes it comes during during a junior year, or even, you know, famously, you know, Shane Battier. It clicked for him in his sophomore year against Maryland. And all of a sudden we went from, yeah, this guy's going to be a pretty good piece to this guy might be the best player that Duke has ever seen. Like that sort of, you know, thing where the motor just turns and everything just falls into place. You can't predict when that happens. It, as Jason said, it happens for a lot of people. Having said that, I don't think Christian Reeves is going to be the answer, at least as of right now. I reserve the right to be surprised in the fall if he comes back and, you know, puts on like 10 pounds of muscle and becomes a, becomes a beast. But I do think those, this is a prime opportunity for Sean Stewart to develop and and become that guy who can get some considerable minutes alongside Ryan Young and Kyle, Phil, Kyle Filipowski. So uh, thank you all for that question. I, there was a lot of people who submitted about Ernest Uday. So I think all of you uh, who use the word Uday in their question, because that one was for you. I'm going to move on to the next question. This should be a quicker one. It's from at MRN Kagio four on Twitter. Uh, and we thank you for this question. Do you think there's a chance that Duke redshirts any of the newcomers or existing players on the 2023-24 roster? Sam, I'll go to you first. I would love to see John Shire uh, employ the redshirt as a viable roster strategy. I think that if it's going to happen, we're going to hear about it because it'll involve potentially like public discussion between the team and the player's family, because it's going to have to be so open about it. Because I can imagine that, look, in the pre-transfer portal, pre-NIL world, even then, red shirts in basketball were pretty rare, because it was you know, pretty well understood that like you could just recruit the guy to, to transfer if he was getting redshirted, because it means that the program doesn't really see a need for him. I sort of see a program like Duke becoming more differentiated in the new world where 
they can say, yeah, you got the NIL and you get all the, you know, all the perks of being a Duke basketball player. And we really have your development in mind here. Stick around through a redshirt year. So all of that being said, I hope that John Shire considers this. I don't know if it's going to happen because the, at least the returning guys, if they were going to redshirt, they probably would have done it as freshmen. With the incoming guys, I think that the incoming players are probably too good to redshirt, right? Like, like we we sort of, I, I feel like it became a meme before it needed to on this Sam, show. They're, they're all they're all top thirty recruits. Right. I mean, let's we, be we, clear, we, well, number one we class were, in the country. Remember, we were talking about two, how like, yeah. oh, we're not talking about TJ Power enough, right? Like, yeah, oh, so maybe TJ Power is going to redshirt because because no. TBR hasn't talked about him, but he's a top thirty recruit. No. In fact, there's a scenario where TJ Power plays more than any other freshman. I'm telling you, there is. Here's my answer to that question. No, Duke's not redshirting anyone this coming season. I don't think you're going to see Duke redshirt anyone for a long time to come. There is a great article in The Athletic today. But, you know, boy, do we we pump The Athletic. We should, Donald, we should have an affiliate relationship with The Athletic. All right. <laughs> in any event, there was a great article in The Athletic today talking about Virginia and Tony Bennett and... Just last year, they had a freshman guy was like top 70 or top 80 ranked, something like that. And they, Tony Bennett did what he often does with, with guys coming in his program. He redshirted him his freshman year because it takes time to learn the Virginia defense. It takes time to learn the way Tony Bennett wants to run that team. And man, he has done a great job at running that team for the past decade or so. Well, this kid that Tony Bennett spent last year redshirting, he just transferred. He left. He went to Creighton. And Tony Bennett was like, you know, we were really expecting to get several years of good production out of this guy. And the article is about the fact that Virginia in the brave new world of the transfer portal of NIL of guys being rushing to the pros and things like that, the Virginia, it's not working for them anymore. The idea of developing guys over two, three, four years, just it's not in fashion. I mean, Caden Shedrick just left Virginia. He was penciled in to be a big time player for them this year. He went off to Texas. I don't think you're going to see Duke redshirting anybody because there no one has that kind of patience anymore. They just don't. I mean, we saw it a year ago. All the talk was Christian Reeves was going to redshirt. He plays kind of well in a couple preseason scrimmages. Suddenly he's not redshirting anymore. I, I don't think there's anybody these days coming to Duke and thinking, hey, I could stay here for five years. I think these guys are all looking at Duke as a way station on the way to the pros. And that's fine. And maybe it takes them two, three, four years to get there. But the notion of five years, uh-uh. I just don't think you're going to get anybody sold on that in a Duke uniform. I think I think the answer is no. I think if there's any team or any player on this team that could possibly redshirt, it's Stanley Borden. And the only reason I'm saying Stanley Borden is, one, he's seven feet tall, and two, merely just to point out as a side note that he won the ACC Top 6 for Service Award for Duke University. Congratulations, Stanley Borden. Great, great achievement. But he, like everyone else in this roster, is going to be doing that next year because he's going to be a full-fledged member of this basketball team. I don't think anyone is redshirting on this team. So, uh, MRN Kagi04, thank you very much for that question. We move on to the last question before we take a break. It's from House P in the forums. Great name, by the way. Great, great handle. And House P asks, what can the ACC in general, and Duke specifically, do to improve their seating in the NCAA tournament and the number of bids and house P also adds be creative. I don't think there's a real creative answer to this question, but Jason, I'm gonna let you take a crack at it. 
you can give the realistic answer or you can come up with something outside the box. I mean, the realistic answer is the ACC not only needs to win more preseason, uh, pre-conference season games, the ACC needs to not lose to bad teams. That's the thing that has been crushing the ACC in recent years. It's these losses to teams that are ranked outside the top 100, top 150. Heck, there are some ACC teams that are losing games to teams ranked outside the top 200. It happens occasionally, and it just kills, just kills the advanced metrics for the entire conference. If you want a creative solution, I would love to see the ACC find a way to schedule something against another power conference. I'm not saying it all has to be at the exact same time, but schedule something in January or February where ACC teams have a break in their schedule and they're able to play other major conference teams or or significant mid-majors at a point a little bit later in the season. Because I think we've consistently seen ACC teams do a little better than expected in the NCAA tournament. And there's been this whole theme that maybe the ACC is better than we think from the preseason versus the end of the season. Well, if that's going to be the case, prove it by playing some games against some good teams later in the year when we know a little bit more about how these teams have developed. But the biggest thing is stop losing games to teams you have no business losing to and start beating some good teams in the preseason. I'll take you one layer deeper, Jason, with with two things. On the scheduling front, um, I think the ACC, all these teams in the ACC that, that are not making the tournament, especially the ones that are right on the cusp, uh, should be trying to schedule fewer cupcake games, right? They should be scheduling games against good opponents because that's what Michigan State does. And does it end up that Michigan State probably at the end of the season has a few more losses than you expect of a team of their caliber, of a team of their Ken Palm rating? Sure. Does it also mean that Michigan State is totally battle-tested by the time they get to the tournament and tend to outperform their seed? Also true. And there is no reason why I'll throw a bunch of names at you. Virginia Tech. NC State, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech. There's no reason these programs can't act. Clemson, Syracuse. say Clemson. Clemson. There's, <laughs> there's no reason these programs can't Actually, act. Actually, right, wait, wait, Donald's right. Syracuse is the worst defender of all of them. Syracuse and, and, usually doesn't leave the state of New York until January. And, and so there's no reason that all of these programs can't try to schedule a little bit more like Michigan State. Play neutral site games, play in other places. So that is, that's step one. The other creative thing, I think, and this is not something that the ACC as a conference can do. This is really like my call to all of the uh, athletic directors and, and school presidents is to stop hiring coaches on account of their postseason success, because your postseason success does not get you invited to the NCAA tournament. Hire coaches that don't make mistakes during the regular season. Hire coaches that don't lose these games, because the coach hiring is where all of this starts. And let me tell you, if you're a coach at a mid-major and you don't lose to bottom, you know, teams in, in like the bottom hundred of the of the rankings in, in division one, when you're at that mid-major job, when you're at that, you know, Southern Conference job, you're probably gonna do the same in the ACC. You may not win a lot of ACC games in your first year, but you won't lose the stupid games. And so I I hope that with you know, whatever coaching hires are are coming up in the ACC, that they're being done not with sort of the short-sighted, small sample view of of how have these coaches performed in postseason tournaments? How often have they even made the NCAA tournament if they're coming from one bid leagues? Uh, all of that is like irrelevant relative to 
How are they performing in the regular season and how high is the floor when they're coming from these mid-major jobs? So for me, I think the going rate and the saying goes, a national championship is not won in November and December. It's won in March and April, right? But the status of a conference is won, I think, in November and December by how they compete in the non-conference. And, and you both have alluded to it. Playing, You don't have to play the best teams in the country, but you got to play decent teams that most people think are good enough to make the NCAA tournament, and you got to beat them. At the same time, you can't be losing to the the you know teams that are in the bottom you know hundred of Kempom and the RPI or or, or the uh, the net or anything like that. You got to make sure that you're beating the teams you're supposed to while also getting victories against teams that when the committee's in that room they look at your at your resume and they go oh yeah they beat this team they beat that team they beat this one over here they played it even though they lost to this one over here they played a tough schedule. I can overlook you. Your your losses get overlooked if you play a tougher schedule. Just like Sam said, Michigan State plays one of the toughest schedules in the country, and if they have ten losses, so be it. But they that resume, they see all those names on the list. They go, man, they played tough against this team. They played tough against that team. They beat this other team. I think that's the key here. But it also might need to be a concerted focus, not necessarily of of the whole conference, but at least some of these teams that you guys mentioned, because seems like every year these are the teams that are jockeying for position to not be in the tournament and they're the teams that are the most vocal about the fact that they don't make the tournament and that there's this acc bias when really it's them they the committee has a bias on them because they schedule games that they shouldn't be scheduling and they lose to teams they shouldn't be losing to so i, I think it's got to be a concerted effort to schedule better teams if you have to jump in with an acc team and say hey yo let's meet at madison square garden Clemson, Virginia Tech, let's meet at Madison Square Garden. Let's bring two teams from these Power Five conferences, or at least one of these mid-major teams that everyone knows about, and let's each play one and make it a, make it a special event. And that way, it gets on ESPN. Everyone goes, oh, they won that game in the Garden against, you know, Iona, whatever that team may be, right? They won that game against, uh, you know, against VCU. Man, this team must be pretty good. The ACC might be up to something this year. That gets the ACC on the brain of these people, of the fans, the media, and also that pe- the people in that room in Indianapolis in March when they make this decision. Jason, right. wrap this up for us, but yeah, go ahead. So there was a time when the NCAA wasn't as good at picking teams for the NCAA, the selection committee. They weren't as good at picking teams for the, for the, for the tournament. And having a gaudy win-loss record really help you out. You know, that was pretty, that was a good thing to have. I've got a dirty little secret to tell everyone. Come here, get a little bit closer. You ready? No one cares if you beat a team ranked outside the top 200. No one cares. It doesn't matter anymore. You play a team that's not in the top 150. Heck, if you play a team not in the top 100, the only reason it matters, the only reason it matters is if you lose. If you win, no one cares. And here's the reality. If you go 10 and 0 against teams ranked outside the top 150, it is worse than going five and five against teams ranked in the top 100. There's no question about that. And I don't understand why more of these coaches, there are a bunch of coaches in the ACC, don't understand that fact. You can be 10 and 0 against terrible teams and no one cares. If you're five and five, heck, if you're four and six against teams ranked in the top 100, 
you will be get you will get more attention from the NCAA selection committee. You will have more of a chance to go to the NCAA tournament than the team that goes undefeated against teams that are just terrible teams. That's the reality of where things are today. And they say, you know, a rising a rising tide lifts all ships. The rising tide is the bottom of the conference. It's not at the top. Like Duke can be all the way up here. Duke, UNC, and Virginia can be at the top all they want, but they can't pull up the NC States and the Syracuse. They got to do that on their own. And that way, when they do get to conference and the, you know, the ACC is tough, just like every other conference. And, you know, teams are losing every week. Clemson, you know, goes out to a fast start and then they lose to Miami. Miami gets out to a fast start. They lose to, you know, NC State. NC State beats Duke. Duke beats Virginia. That will all be fine because, again, the battle was won in November, December when everyone goes, man, all these ACC teams must be tough because they beat all these other teams in November, December. This conference must be tougher than we thought instead of what we saw last year was when all these teams were losing, they were counted as bad losses. And Jason, like you said, you don't want bad losses on your resume. You want people to think of a loss as a good loss instead of a bad one. Sam, but finish Closing statement on this topic is to reiterate what we said at the top, which is uh, life is much better when you don't care about the performance of the rest of the conference. <laughs> so I, I invite everyone to join me in this world. Sam, I wish I could join you in this world. I can do it at least for, I can only do it for one other school, all the other schools, you know, especially that one eight miles down the road. They can be, they can, they can go all the way to the bottom of the Mariana Trench if we have to, but we're going to leave it there. Let's take a quick break on the other side, more of your mail. We get to talk in some questions about everything when it comes to Duke basketball and college basketball. Stay tuned to find out what we got. We're talking about everything, Donald? Everything. <laughs> hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, gentlemen, we are back and we have a couple more questions in the inbox that I think are good to look at and take it and take a, a deep dive into. The first one comes from Rocket. It was on the forum. So, Rocket, thank you for this question. And this one is about the depth of Duke basketball. And, and we've talked a little bit about how deep Duke could be in 2023-24. But this question is this. Next year's team is going to be historically deep with a large number of folks that will probably deserve playing time. What other teams, other than Kentucky, have had this kind of depth? And how did they structure their substitution patterns to successfully take advantage of that depth? In other words... How can Duke utilize this asset to the fullest? Sam, we're talking about depth here. How does Duke maximize the depth that potentially, at least on paper, exists for this upcoming squad? Uh, I will make a comparison to a team that uh, I'm sure we don't want to talk about, but 2009 North Carolina, which featured Tyler Hansborough and, and Ty Lawson as the, you know, the, the star players. They had two other guys who were going to get a bunch of NBA checks. Uh, and they had a number of guys sitting on the bench, uh, highlighted, I think, by Ed Davis, who were legit backups with with NBA potential in their own right. You can go back to that season and see that Roy used those backups mostly to hone the starters, and that there is a limit to how much your depth can be helpful, given that the ball needs to be in in the stars' hands at some point. I, I I usually advocate in favor of Duke should let their bench go longer. At a certain point, the depth just has we just have to start talking about how they're great. In, it's great in practice to have I don't know which of these guys it will be, but it's great in practice to have you know Caleb Foster. It's great in practice to have uh, TJ Power. It's great in practice to have Jaden Shoot. Whoever you know, and I'm not saying that any of those guys won't get real minutes for Duke next year, but there's a there's a possibility for so many of these top recruits to to not get minutes. And and I don't think it's the end of the world if it turns out that Duke is only rolling seven deep going into the postseason. So uh, I appreciate the question. And, and, and look, I think the fact that people talk about 2015 Kentucky so much is interesting because, yeah, they didn't win the national championship, but they also didn't lose until the final four. So uh, how much do you want to call that Kentucky season a failure 
in terms of roster construction and sharing the ball and stuff like that. In a way, John Calipari did an awesome job that year, even if they didn't win the title. So the team that I'm going to compare is the 2020 Florida State team. That was a really good FSU squad. And I think, you know, had the had the season not been interrupted for COVID, that was a Florida State team that was ready to make some real waves in the NCAA tournament. They were playing 11 guys that year. And I'm completely serious. Like every game, they were rolling out 11 different dudes. And they were figuring out what combinations were working from game to game. And there was really like Trent Forrest was the only guy on that team who really, you know, who, who played anywhere close to like 28 plus minutes. They were just sharing the time among a bunch of other dudes and it was working for them. And they were never tired. They were, you know, they, they, they were able to find the combinations of the guys who were playing the best. And I think it's a really interesting notion. I, I don't think you're going to see Duke quite do that kind of a thing because there's just a tremendous amount of experience coming back. I, you know, I, I, I don't see Kyle Filipowski or Tyrese Proctor or Mark Mitchell or even Jeremy Roach playing, you know, 50 or 60% of Duke's minutes. I think it's going to be more than that for all, all four of those guys, certainly for Proctor and Filipowski who, who are likely lottery picks. So I, I don't think that, you know, that Florida state team is an exact carbon copy of what you're going to see, but it, you may see something somewhat similar. And, and I do think, you know, Sam, it'll be a fun thing for us to do in the stats game. How many guys on Duke will average 10 plus minutes per game? Could it could we have as many as 10 guys average 10 plus minute per, per game? 11? We've got 12 guys on scholarship. Could it be 12? I don't know. I I, I think that the, the conversation about how John Shire is using the depth is going to be one of our favorites uh, heading into the season. So yeah, we have to we have to formulate exactly the right uh, the right stats game setup for that. And, and and I should note one of the reasons this is so difficult for us is that. Hey, newsflash, Mike Krzyzewski was the coach here for 40 years, and he did things a certain way. And the notion of playing 10, 11, maybe even 12 guys was just not something that Mike Krzyzewski ever did. John Shire, we've had one season to see what he does. He looked like he used his depth more than Coach K did last year, and he has recruited a team. He has put together a team where it would seem incumbent upon him to use that depth. So I'm going to be real interested in seeing Sam. You're absolutely right. It's the number one topic I think on everyone's mind because we have no idea what John Shire is going to do. This is an interesting comparison that I have, but I'm going to go back to the 2001 national championship team. Why they didn't play 10, 11 guys at the same time, right? They didn't have many games where you saw nine, 10, 11 guys, but you had nine, 10, 11 guys that absolutely contributed two games in that season. And there was nine guys that averaged over 10 minutes a game. There was two other guys, Matt Christensen and Reggie Love. We don't have to speak about their contributions to that team because they were immense. So you have what I call a, a recipe for success here when it comes to depth. One, everybody needs to be on the same page. Everyone needs to understand their role. It needs to be communicated and everyone needs to buy into it. The guy that's getting five minutes off the bench needs to understand that's his role and what he needs to do when he checks into the game, how he needs to play. Guy who's at averaging 35 minutes a game needs to understand his role and what he needs what he needs to bring to the team for it to be successful. And 
all of this is one in practice, right? As I mentioned on the on a previous podcast, I hope that they get to the point where they feel like they're the number one team in the country and that the second unit is the second best team in the country and they're going at it every single day so that they can get each other better because if all of them get better, this team gets better. But again, everyone understands their role. Everyone understands where they, you know, they don't have to like, for example, Christian Reeves is like, yo, I don't, I know I'm not going to start, but when I come off the bench, I'm ready to play. And the final thing is when you do enter the game, you got to produce because that's how, rotations get shortened very quickly guys who come off the bench and don't produce over a certain period of time whatever the coaches at a certain point say this guy can't be relied on for the five minutes that we thought he was going to get so a lot there's a lot of things here that needs to work out but mainly everyone needs to buy into the role everyone needs to accept that as a team there are certain things that that work in any machine right any machine is full of different parts if one part is busted it can mess up the whole machine if this machine is to keep going, everyone needs to know what part they are and how they contribute to the whole and to execute their end of it. Because if they do, this team is going places. And again, I'm throwing the word expectation around there. If this team executes the way I think they can. We can expect to have a really good season next year. So time will tell. I think this summer is going to be one of the most important that Duke has had in a long time because of the fact we have so many guys coming back. We have a, a really good uh, you know recruiting class coming in. We have a, you know, one transfer, but we have guys who are able to contribute. So thank you, Rocket, for that question. I go to the final question, and the final question I have is from John B., also came from the DBR forums. Thank you to everyone who who contributed that we didn't get questions to, but John B. asked this question, and I thought it was interesting, so I'm going to let you guys answer, then I'm going to give my take. How possible is it to eventually graduate from Duke if someone goes pro after two solid years of classes? COVID Zoom classes were probably very helpful for guys like Boozer and Avery. Reminder, uh, Will Avery, we, we mentioned, graduated uh, this past uh, or a couple weeks ago, so congratulations to him. But I imagine these courses have largely vanished. So is it enough to cobble together enough in-person classes in the summer and Zoom classes somewhere, or would Duke mandate more in-person experiences, especially for up-level courses? I'm going to start off before I give it to you, Sam, by saying Duke is – a very difficult school to get into. Duke is an even more difficult school to graduate from. And three of us have degrees and we've joked on this show before that we don't know how we finished it, but we know we have a piece of paper that shows we did. So Sam, I give it to you. What about this two-year thing? Is this something that people can focus on or or is this too far-fetched? I think it's pretty hard. Uh, assuming that Duke is maintaining a mostly in-person academic experience. And look, by the way, this question, uh, we are not uh, fully prepared to to speculate on, given that none of us work in an academic role at Duke, nor have we, at least to my knowledge, talked to anyone in those roles. My understanding of the way the experience works is that a summer can only replace like most of a semester, but not a full semester. So even if it, even if you are like aggressive about summer school, uh, you need two summers to cover one missed year of school. And on top of that, there are some classes in some programs, depending on how, how popular your program is, uh, your, your major program. There are some classes that are not even offered over the summer because Duke doesn't really want to make that part of the experience, be they capstone classes or, or, or classes that lead to, that are prerequisites for other classes. So I think it's pretty hard to graduate in two years. I'd be surprised if we heard of any student athletes coming to Duke who make it an explicit goal 
to graduate in two years. Three seems pretty doable, right? You only have to cover up one, you know, missed year of of class. And you can do that by filling in the summer before you show up, summer after freshman year, the summer after sophomore year, such that you can really be ahead by the time you you enter junior year. And maybe it takes you into that summer to finish. Although hopefully if you're leaving after junior year, the idea would be that you're going pro. So you're trying to have that last semester, that second semester of junior year be your last academic term. It's possible. It's still hard, right? Like we we talk about how how Jay Williams did it all those years ago. Um, but that was a a pretty challenging uh, thing to, to go through. And it's not something I think that even every Duke basketball player is equipped to do because it does require you to be flexible about class time. It does require you to be getting ahead of where your classmates are. And, and there are a lot of demands on the time of a student athlete, not just one on the Duke basketball team that make it difficult, I think, to, to get ahead academically. I, I'm so, going to go ahead and say, uh, Sam, like you said, it's hard. I think it may be borderline impossible. And, and, and to be clear, the, the, the question that John B was asking, he, he made it, he sort of alluded to the fact he's thinking about Kyle Filipowski who we've mentioned on this podcast had a stellar, unbelievable GPA his freshman year at Duke. And John was like, Hey, you know, Kyle's going to be here for one more year. You know, what's the way that he gets a degree after he leaves? Because presumably Kyle is here for only one more year that he's probably going to, I think it would be pretty surprising and, and somewhat disappointing to Kyle if, at the end of next season, he's not ready to to be in the NBA draft and, and perhaps be a very high draft pick. I, I I think the reality is that if Kyle wants to get a degree from Duke University, he probably is going to have to wait till his professional basketball career is done because he, he may be able to accelerate some classes like you guys talked about with some summer school and things like that. But he, he's still going to be a, a bit of a ways away Duke is very, very reluctant to take transfer credits. Duke is not doing many online kind of classes, especially at the upper levels, which is what you have to be doing to get, you know, to, to get those final classes done. I think the reality probably is that if Kyle Filipowski has just is dead set on getting a Duke degree, and I would applaud him tremendously if that is his goal someday, it is probably a goal that he reaches in his late 30s when his professional basketball career is done, not something that he's able to do on the side. Because by the way, NBA players, even once the season ends, they're, they're, there's still a lot of stuff that those guys are doing over the summer. They are not just like chilling out, going to Duke and taking summer school classes. So I, I, I don't think it's possible anymore. Duke's academic standards are too high. So Jason, Sam, let me break down. Cause I obviously went back to, this harken me back to my days. And I want to explain to people kind of what it would be like to be a student at Duke to try and graduate in four years. Okay. I graduated in four years. This again, mind you, some of this has changed when it was when I was in school, but at Duke, we don't have credit hours that some universities do. One class equals one credit. You have some classes that are half credits like basketball and weightlifting, but for all intents and purposes, every class is one credit. I took, I took karate. I took karate. I took basketball and weightlifting. Yeah, that was my. So you need 33 credits to graduate. And I graduate with 37. That included a, an AP credit, a summer course that I transferred in from Wayne State. And my final semester, I had two pass fill sports courses. Most Duke students do four classes or four credits per semester, though some will do five. 
And I believe you're allowed to underload once with three courses. The only people who are allowed to underload more are student athletes. And I'll get to that in just a second. So Duke also has two summer sessions. And Sam, you alluded to this. You can actually take a max of two credits per session, but most people only stay for one summer session. So they take two courses. But you could get a maximum of four. So if you took four credits every semester, you need more than eight semesters to graduate from Duke. So if a Duke athlete arrived in May before they started their freshman year, they did summer courses before their freshman year, after their uh, sophomore, after their freshman year, and overloaded every single semester, you end up with 28 credits. So you're still short unless you have a ton of AP credits or you commit to finishing during the summer, by which, Jason, you just mentioned, the guy, the guy who is going to the NBA is going to be consumed with getting ready to play in the NBA. So that's also not counting declaring a major and the requirements associated with that. There are core courses that everyone needs to take. And for some, you need to take that course. Uh, you need to take a course before you get to that course that is required. All those upper level courses, some people you have to take a lower level course before you get eligible for that upper level course. You can't just take 10 political science courses and, and get a degree in political science. You have to take more than that. And then also for a student athlete, add the 20 hours a week of official activities that they have on the basketball team. That's your practices, your games, travel to the games, team meetings, weightlifting, everything. Mind you, that's not counting the study halls. That's not counting all the unofficial things like unofficial practices where the players are getting together to practice, going to a team function, things like that. And then nowadays you have the NIL obligations on top of that. And you got to sleep, eat, bathe, and, and be a college kid in, in the middle of that. So most student athletes actually underload several semesters because they have so much going on that they can't do a full course load. I worked for the football team. Sam, I know you worked for the football team as a manager. I think you were also the Blue Devil. Like we we were we were not student athletes, but we had 20 hours of demands in ex in in, in excess of our studies, right? That also included the travel to the games. It also included the preparation for for football games on Saturday. They also included for Sam preparation for basketball games. For me, I was headline monitor. Sam, Jason, you were headline monitor. We had to prepare for those too. That was time that we couldn't spend in class. All of that to say, if you think that anyone can graduate from Duke in two years, you have to fully commit to do it. You have to bring in a ton of AP credits. And at the end of the day, you still might end up short. You could, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's by the way, so I, hard I was, to do. I was nor would I ask time. you to do it. I was going to say, but I was spending my time at the Chronicle. I was an editor for the Chronicle. So, yeah, you know, everybody Dude, I mean, at Duke is really busy with other stuff. Everyone is busy. I mean, look, you have people. I mean, you had a you had a, Mike Posner went to Duke. He was a he, he he was doing shows every weekend and then coming back and going to classes. I know that was a, just a, a whirlwind when it comes to actually graduating. So for me, when I say that that piece of paper is the greatest thing I have in my house, I fully mean it. Because so much went into that. There's so much that we had to do as Duke students. And that's just one university. That's not the other, you know, 10,000 universities that are across this country where people have to do the same thing. So I say that to say this. I want people to understand that student athletes can't just go into school and because you want them to graduate, that they're going to graduate. Some of these guys, a lot of these guys, even as seniors, they leave school with a couple of credits short because they've had to do so much during their college career that they had to underload so many classes that they may be a class or two short, or even when they are a senior and they've exhausted eligibility, which is why the NCAA 
A does not count graduation rates. They have an academic progress report. And also it's why under a student athlete, you have up to six years to complete a four-year degree because sometimes some of these players need it. And so I, I ask people to cut them a little slack when it comes to the number of courses they're taking. Yes, we want them to, to excel in the classroom, but I guarantee you if these guys are taking five credits every semester and all the stuff they have to do, these guys wouldn't sleep for a semester. And then one or, or the other or both will struggle. So bear that in mind. I think the academic question is always one for Duke. We take it very seriously. But at the same time, you have to make sure that these guys and, 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 and ladies that are student athletes be able to enjoy the college life that we also enjoyed when we were in school. So I will leave it there. Guys, do we have anything else? Or can we can we wrap this up? Wrap it up, baby. Hey, have a happy Memorial Day, everybody. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend. For those who, who gave the ultimate sacrifice, we salute you uh, this weekend and, and remember you as well. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions again. Also, thank you to the people that we were able to get to the questions and for those who didn't. For Jason, for Sam, I am Donald. This will conclude episode number 517 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Remember, head to our link tree, linktree.com slash DBR podcast. You can get an affiliate link to Homefield Apparel where you can save 15% off. Also, Fanatics, do you want Duke gear? Everyone needs Duke gear. You can get all of it through us. Head to our link tree. Also, follow us on Twitter at Duke Roundup. Again, for Jason, for Sam, I am Donald. Now it is time for the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home.